everyone, and welcome to the podcast of English composer Andrew Downs. My name is Paula Downs, I am Andrew's younger daughter, and on today's show I'm delighted to be reading chapter 13 from my granddad's book, Around the Horn by Frank Downs. Chapter 13 includes Sergeant's Knighthood, Elgar Festival, Malvern, Milstein, Parry Jones, Mayor of Wensbury. First Edinburgh Festival, 1947, Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra. Halle, Bruno Walter, Barbaroli, Huddersfield Choral Society. 1947 was a year when the orchestra was engaged at three festivals, London, Malvern and Edinburgh. All were to take place in the summer months and a very fine warm summer it was. Our venues in London were Haringey Arena, to me a very strange choice as I only knew it as a vast sports complex, the Davis Theatre Croydon and the recording studios in Abbey Road where we were to record the Rachmaninoff Second Piano Concerto with Cyril Smith as soloist. Our arrival at Haringey Arena was for me as an orchestral player a new experience though I had, during the war years, appeared at Wembley and other large stadiums in Paris and Brussels, providing military band music at international football matches. However, the prospect of playing here in this vast arena on a central platform which looked like a huge boxing ring was pretty formidable. Nathan Milstein was to be the soloist in the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto and the programme included Vorjak's Second Symphony. The morning rehearsal, as anticipated, proved to be an acoustic nightmare, Milstein being extremely unhappy in the concerto. We were assured by the management that with an audience, the acoustics would vastly improve, and so it proved to be. We played to a near-capacity house which must have been several thousand, but there was another hazard awaiting the unfortunate Milstein, and not even his superb sound and technique could cope with the express steam train which whistled past on the London Northeastern Railway line as he began the cadenza in the first movement of the concerto. For some seconds he was unheard. It was a most unfortunate incident which marred a wonderful performance. Sergeant, immaculate as ever, was in sparkling form and seemed to revel in the surroundings, particularly when he was escorted to the rostrum by spotlight. This evening's concert was to be his final appearance as Dr Malcolm. A rumour that had been circulating for some days finally became a reality on the day of our next concert at the Davis Theatre Croydon, when it was announced that he had been honoured with a knighthood. Little was said at the morning rehearsal, but before the evening concert, we had unanimously agreed at a hurried orchestral meeting that we should play He's a Jolly Good Fellow, as he picked up his baton to begin. 
Came the evening, he made his way to the rostrum to an ovation from the audience, took his bow and turned to the orchestra. He was taken completely by surprise as we played our tribute and he stood facing us, tears streaming. It was all very moving and many of us felt a just tribute to a conductor with great musical gifts, who at the outbreak of war did more than any other conductor to keep orchestras alive, both in London and the provinces, taking music to the people who had suffered from air bombardment. He toured Britain with our leading symphony orchestras and gave concerts in almost every city. On that memorable night in the Davis Theatre Croydon, Sir Malcolm stood off stage at the end of the concert and shook hands with all the orchestral players as they left the platform. The ageless dignity of Malvern with its quiet serenity, enchanting atmosphere and superb views across the Severn Valley on one side and the splendid panorama of the hills on the other inspired Julius Harrison, the director of the first Elgar Festival, to say that there was a song and a melody in each one of its lovely hills, valleys, meadows and brooks. Julius Harrison it was who greeted the Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra, arriving in two coaches on a glorious summer day in July 1947. Throughout that week, as a member of the resident orchestra at the festival, those words seemed to portray this very lovely area as the heart of England. Born in Starport in 1885, this jovial, fine-featured man with smartly groomed grey hair parted down the middle and a soft, gentle voice excelled both as a composer and conductor. I remember talking to him at great length about his days as a student at the Birmingham School of Music, where he studied under Sir Granville Bantock. He was very proficient on piano, organ and violin, and also studied woodwind instruments to add to his practical knowledge of the orchestra. The French horn he also tackled, but not with any great success. He was put off, he said, by his brothers and sisters constantly complaining about the noise he made. As a matter of fact, in later years, I met up with him again at the Birmingham School of Music, and he gave me his old Otto Lange horn tutor, which he autographed. The inside cover reveals that it was given to him as a Christmas present in 1897, when he was a boy of 12, and his address on the cover was 11 York Street, Starport. Though Julius Harrison is generally known as a composer and conductor of national repute, it is perhaps not generally known that he was an extremely experienced conductor in the world of opera. He directed well over 40 operas, the first of which was Lohengrin at Covent Garden in 1913 when he was just 28, and two years later he joined the Beecham Opera Company. The first concert of the festival at the Winter Gardens Concert Hall proved to be a disaster. Several unfortunate factors came together to make it so. Firstly, and crucially, the conductor Basil Cameron and the violin soloist Jean Prunier had missed their train from London and would not be arriving until 4.30pm at the earliest. Rehearsal had been scheduled as 2.30 to 5.30pm. Secondly, this rehearsal was the very first appearance of the Liverpool Philharmonic's new leader, a young and brilliant violinist named Manug Perikian. Thirdly, on the morning of this day of all days, our principal cellist had fallen and broken his ankle. 
Beginning the rehearsal at 4.30pm, we had exactly one hour to rehearse an all-Elgar programme. Overture, Froissart, the Violin Concerto and Symphony No. 2. It was, of course, a hopeless task. As we anticipated, there were many anxious moments throughout the evening, and though we proceeded without a major calamity, it was a most unsatisfactory way to begin a festival. Fortunately, next day, confidence was restored by a much-praised performance of Gerontius in the lovely Priory Church in which the soloists were Parry Jones and Astrid Desmond. Whenever I hear or see the name of Parry Jones, I am reminded of an anecdote told to me by a black country pharmacist named Chad Jackson. Chad, besides being a well-known public figure in Wensbury, was an exceptionally enthusiastic amateur musician and patron of the arts in the town. As such, and during the years I was working at the BBC in Birmingham, he engaged two of my colleagues and me to play the Brahms Trio for violin, piano and horn at Wensbury Town Hall. It was a most successful concert, and afterwards Chad invited us to the pub next door. Standing at the bar, Chad related his story. I should first explain to readers who did not know Parry Jones that he was a very portly gentleman and according to Chad Jackson was also inclined to be vain and pompous. Seeing three of you standing there reminds me of a few years back when Parry Jones came to do a recital and I brought him in here for a drink. He stood there just about where you're standing Frank with a whiskey in his hand when through the door over there came the Mayor of Winsbury. Bit of a rough diamond, as you know, our mayors can be. Anyway, he made straight for Parry and me, standing there. Hello, Chad, he said. All dressed up, ain't you? What been going on? Oh, I said, we've just had a concert in the town hall. I thought this was a good opportunity to introduce our distinguished guest. So I said, Mr. Mayor, I would like you to meet Mr. Parry Jones, the singer. With a disdainful look, Parry put out his hand. But as he did so, the Mayor, to my embarrassment, slapped our celebrity on his corpulent stomach, saying, Singer, I should have thought you'd be a bloody trumpet player with a belly like that. The first Edinburgh International Music Festival of 1947 had been the subject of intense musical and public interest for many months before it was due to open in late August of that year. Three major symphony orchestras had been engaged. The Vienna Philharmonic with conductor Bruno Walter, the Halle with Sir John Barbaroli and the Liverpool Philharmonic with newly honoured Sir Malcolm Sargent. Since my early school days, I was fascinated by and yearned to see Athens, but sadly that opportunity has not yet materialised. However, Athens of the North, a nickname for Edinburgh since the 18th century, had similar attractions, and the prospect of going there, taking part of the very first international festival, was doubly exciting. One of the most striking features about Edinburgh during my first few days there was the contrast between the regular layout of the wide streets in its Georgian development and the winding, irregular streets of the old part of the city. The three orchestras were accommodated at the university and I was able to renew acquaintance with several members of the Sadler's Wells Ballet who were also there. 
The Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra arrived shortly after us, a striking spectacle as the players alighted from their coaches, not one female amongst them, and every man much above average height. There was keen competition for practice rooms, string players tending to be as far away as possible from their brass colleagues. There was competition too of a different nature when we challenged the Vienna Orchestra to a game of cricket. It was a rather one-sided affair but distinctly amusing as they interpreted the rules of the game as they understood it. Their six horn players with the eminent Gottfried Freiburg as the principal were a very happy group and I was most interested in their methods of practice which seemed to be predominantly on the natural horn without the use of valves. Freiburg had a marvellous sense of humour and told many stories about his experiences but one anecdote he recounted about his teacher Stiegler who was the principal horn of the Vienna Orchestra and a contemporary of the composer Max Reger. On this particular occasion, Rager was conducting a rehearsal with the orchestra for a performance of his symphony and things were going tolerably well until they got to the scherzo. Apparently Stiegler was finding a certain phrase difficult and notes were splitting and bubbling in a few bars. Rager stopped the orchestra several times, obviously becoming ill-tempered and finally shouted across to Stiegler. What's the matter with you? Can't you play it? I don't like it, came the instant reply, and what's more, I didn't like it in the second act of Tristan either. The playing of the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra was superb. The string sound was, as expected, ravishing, and the horn section, with its seemingly faultless technique, excelled in a difficult programme. Our concerts, there were three in all, were successful, though they were not without incident. On our first night, which included Brahms' Second Symphony, there were no problems, but at the subsequent concert, which was broadcast, William Primrose was the soloist in the Walton Viola Concerto. Halfway through the first movement, a string snapped on his viola, and we were brought to a grinding halt. The reaction of both Primrose and Sargent was astonishing. Primrose shrugged his shoulders, turned, and walked off the platform, returning within seconds with another instrument, tuned it, spoke to Sargent, who in turn said quite calmly to the orchestra, begin at letter A, and off we went. It was so precise that one would have thought we had rehearsed the whole operation. The association of the Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra with Huddersfield and its admirable choral society was very strong during those years. With Sargent as their conductor, the choir achieved worldwide acclamation, with recordings of Messiah, Gerontius, Elijah and Walton's Belshazzar's Feast. Those were memorable days, not only for their music, but for the many journeys to the surrounding country villages of Yorkshire during our free periods. End of chapter 13 to end this podcast episode, I am going to play the first movement of Andrew Down's Sonata for Violin, Horn and Piano, which came into my mind when my granddad wrote about performing the Brahms Trio for Violin, Horn and Piano. Andrew Down's Sonata for Violin, Horn and Piano was commissioned by the Brahms Trio Prague. Andre Vrabet's Horn, Monica Vrabkova Violin and Daniel Wiesner Piano. They gave the world premiere on February the 5th, 2008 in the Sook Hall of the Rudolfinum Prague. They recorded the work for CD in 2008 on the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra Artisman label.
You can listen to the whole work at andrewdowns.com where you can also purchase the CD.